There was an idea. Romamu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Asking Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the very first episode of this new adventure that we're taking on, and we're calling it Assembly Required. We are going to reassemble the MCU piece by piece. And first off, I want to thank everybody for being here. I want to thank um, those that have listened to Squad Up that were brought over here, and I also want to thank anybody who's new out there that's coming to join us um, as we embark on this uh, on this fun trip where we go down memory lane of the MCU and we really uh, we really take in where it started from all the way to Endgame and beyond. Um, so for those of you that don't know, and if I haven't made it clear already, this is an MCU retrospective. We're going to go through episode by episode. Each episode is going to be a movie um, starting today with Iron Man. And then we're going to go movie by movie all the way through the MCU. And we're going to have an episode a week. Um, if you want to participate, we're going to be doing one movie in the MCU in chronological order every single week. So you know exactly what movie starting this week with Iron Man. And to do all of this, I have assembled a crackpot team, if you will, a, a, a who's who of people who think they know Marvel. Uh, so joining me first from the Squad Up podcast and the twitch.tv slash Peaches stream, the uh, streamer and podcaster extraordinaire, it's Peaches. Peaches, what's up, man? Yo, that's me. I'm those what's things. Going on, dude? You're those things. I'm really proud of you for getting through our fifth take of you doing the intro it without took, laughing but oh God, then so many times but then calling us a group of crackpots and not laughing at that i don't know how you did that i'm I th- i'm kind of impressed i tried really hard and got so far wow i mean i hope in the end it matters <laughs> truly i do uh joining us as well uh writer for squad up and all things lover of baseball i don't know why i said that in that order but lover of all things baseball it's robbie robbie what's up man not a whole lot, just uh, trying to figure out which one I care more about, writing show notes or watching baseball. One of them definitely has delivered me less pain. That is true, but also less It's got to be show notes. It's got to be the show notes. Uh, yeah, the show notes have definitely delivered less pain. <laughs> um, uh, and lastly, joining us uh, from his own cave of sound, it is um, our own watchful protector, our voice in the night. It's the Sound Lord. That's me. Hi. You called us crackpots and a group of remarkable people was just sitting right there for the taking. <laughs> also, Chris is it's it's Chris. Yes. I said the sound lord, but it's Chris. It's Chris. Chris the sound lord. <laughs> it's Chris. Yeah. Chris the sound lord. But you don't have to call me Mr. Sound Lord. No, 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 sound lord. <laughs> oh, wrong wrong universe. I'm so sorry. I know. So like I said, we're going to be talking about Iron Man this episode. We have all, um, just in this past week, watched um, the very first Iron Man movie, and we're going to be talking all about um, Iron Man as a character. We're going to talk about the movie, how we felt about it. We're going to th- talk about um, whether we enjoyed it or not, um, watching it after all this time. I know for me personally, I hadn't seen the movie in quite some time. We're also going to talk a little bit about um, the characters. We're going to talk about some of our favorite quotes and then we're going to leave you off with some uh, with some parting words and some conclusions about um, how we think this ties into the, all, the greater MCU, um, as well as lead you off and uh, to what we're going to be talking about next week with the next movie. So first off, we're going to talk about Iron Man and uh, who Iron Man is. 
Um, I'm going to be honest. I didn't know a ton about Iron Man um, before the comic books. I don't know about you guys, but or before the movies, I should say. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't really like have that much of a familiarity with him. I played Marvel versus Capcom 2, and that was about it. Did you guys have any sort of familiarity with it? Yeah, I was actually... He was probably my second favorite uh, uh, superhero. Definitely Marvel character. I now and I, I think we mentioned this in the previous episode, in the introduction episode, most of my Marvel uh, fandom was basically Spider-Man and how people connected to Spider-Man. But I did buy some Avengers issues. I just found Iron Man just to be such a really cool concept. Um, had a lot of, uh, I had some Iron Man action figures. I would buy the occasional Iron Man comic. There was an Iron Man cartoon that I think was really short-lived, but I do remember it. Um, So I did. Like I, I know that makes me weird and... and it was not until somewhat recently that I realized that Iron Man was like a B level character that people were not excited about. I thought I was just like, I thought everyone was just like me. Iron Man is cool and popular and exciting. I, I didn't know that made me strange until recently. I'm trying to find a way to tie in B movie to what you just said, but I don't, it didn't really work. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, I realized I didn't even write anything in the show notes for this section. You said, were you aware of him before? Honestly, I wasn't. I think I talked about this in the, in the intro episode about with Batman, how uh, I was kind of in that bucket of people that was like, Batman's not a superhero. He just has money. He doesn't have power, that sort of thing. I kind of felt the same way with Iron Man when I first like heard of him and realized who he was. I was like, yeah, rich, smart dude who made, who made the suit. That's not a superpower. I feel really dumb for feeling that way now. So please don't, you know tie a large boulder to me and throw me in the lake and see if I float. But uh, I didn't really know about him until this movie came out. So it was all, it was all new to me in the beginning. Yeah. I was kind of in the same boat there. I was aware of Iron Man as a Marvel superhero. I could recognize the character if I saw him. Didn't know his secret identity for all I knew. He was actually just a robot. I knew the song Iron Man by Black Sabbath, but I knew that wasn't about the comic book character. So, yeah. So I actually had very, very little familiarity with Iron Man beyond. Oh, yeah. He's one of those Marvel superheroes. The one as the sound lord. It makes sense that you would know about the song Iron Man, though. Yes. <laughs> there are several sounds in, in Iron Man by Black Sabbath. Yes. Mo- most songs are just a collection of sounds. If you really think yeah. about it. At least three sounds. Yeah. Now. <laughs> Iron Man was created around the same time as Spider-Man. He debuted in Tales of Suspense number 39 in 1963. He was created by Stan Lee, um, future Spider-Man artist Jack Kirby, with help from Larry Lieber and Don Heck. Now, um, Iron Man has always had sort of these typical character traits. He's always a billionaire, right? He's always a playboy. He's always, you know, billionaire, playboy, philanthropist. He's always a um, a weapons manufacturer. He's always got a lot of these... Stripper pole Right, he's always... He's always got these sort of these sort of traits, right? Um, now I want to get talking about the movie, um, and I want to talk about a little bit about what the movie is. So we're gonna give you just give you a brief synopsis of what the movie is. It stars um, Robert Downey Jr. playing Tony uh, Tony Stark, 
playing Robert Downey Jr. Um, <laughs> That's pretty accurate, actually. <laughs> At least for the first movie, it's really accurate. Yeah, that is. You know, and we'll get into it later. And I, I will, we'll talk a lot about Robert Downey Jr. specifically in this movie because of what he did and, and how he brought up the MCU from this film. Um, but it stars uh, Tony Stark. And he, the movie starts off, he is in some Middle East country. Do you actually know what Middle East country he's in at the beginning? It's Afghanistan. Isn't it Afghanistan? Is it, is it Afghanistan? Yeah, yeah. The, the, um, ten okay. rings, the Ten Rings in the comics are based out of Afghanistan, I think. So until my rewatch, and we've already lost track because I'm in the middle of the summary. <laughs> and, until my rewatch, I did not realize that they were called the Ten Rings. And then I saw it saw they were called the Ten Rings, and I was like, oh, shit, they were talking about the Mandarin the whole time, yep. and I didn't even know mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and they've they've got the logo in the banner when they do, like, the the stereotypical, like, terrorist video, and then in the after-film credits, they show the banner again. Yeah, I, I wish I would have figured that out. But anyway, <laughs> um, Tony Stark is on, like, a caravan, and then he gets... Um, he gets taken prisoner by the Ten Rings, which are a terrorist organization. He gets some shrapnel in his heart, and they create this sort of arc reactor contraption to keep the shrapnel from entering his heart. He creates uh, a giant iron suit to escape, and then realizes, because they were using some of his weaponry, that maybe building a bunch of weapons that could do lots and lots and lots of destruction and kill tons of people probably isn't a good idea. So he sets off to change his company for the better and not have uh, weapons anymore and change the the face of that. And then he starts building this Iron Man suit to, one, get his weapons back because he realizes that they are dealing their weapons under the table. And two, to start protecting people because it looks like people need protecting in a lot of different places. Um, The movie takes a lot of twists and turns, but it ends up with his uh, sort of mentor becoming the villain becoming ironmonger and uh tony stark having to defeat him there are a lot of other plot points in that movie but the gist of it is he becomes iron man he learns some life lessons and learns how to not be a dick and then um he (laughs) defeats the villain which is sort of the recipe for every iron man movie is Tony yeah. Stark learning less and learning how to be less of a dick, like a little more and a little more. Yeah, yeah. he gets better at not being a dick with every movie. Right, right. But yeah, that's like less that's like his path, right? Like his path <laughs> yeah. is like, I'm a dick. How do I become less of a dick? He he's on the the path of least ridiculousness. <laughs> there we go. If we weren't probably titling these episodes after the title of the film, I would totally call. <laughs> that quote right there but that's a squad up only thing excuse me we touched on it at the beginning of the uh at the beginning of the synopsis but we were in afghanistan right which watching this movie i didn't realize this the first time but now that i've watched it years removed this movie is steeped in american patriotism um it is set in afghanistan the um there's a lot of uh tony stark being called sort of a proud american hero there's a lot of patriotism that frankly that there isn't necessarily in a world today but in a post 9-11 world you it was like fairly common right to see lots of you know you know america and and sort of metal music and sort of this like this bravado and um, Middle Eastern people being sort of the enemy. And it had a lot of those sort of themes from the time period. So it's definitely sort of a timepiece. I kind of agree with that. I When I was watching it, to me, it felt more like a stereotypical action movie than any of the other films that I could remember in the MCU. 
Um, I kind of, you know, there's a lot of this, this talk uh, from trolls on the internet right now of like, we're oversaturated with Marvel guys. Marvel movies are just action movies. All they're just really good action movies. But the first few Marvel movies right. were also really stereotypical action movies. Iron Man specifically, there's tons of cars driving really fast and intentionally scenes where it's implied that Tony Stark and a woman are hooking up and there's explosions. I mean, there's the scene where where he fires the missile at the tank and literally turns around and walks away from it. Like cool guys. Okay, walk but away like that explosions. Is that not the coolest scene in the whole movie? No, no, no. It's a great scene. Oh, no, it is. But it's also it's a cliche. cliche. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's a cool scene. Sure. It's also a cliche. You know, like, ACDC is how the, the movie opens. Like, it's full of, you said metal, but it's really, like, classic rock. Like, Sure, classic it's, rock, it's, yeah. It's definitely got the action movie feel, and it just happens to also involve some Marvel characters, which worked out. Well, and I actually think, I actually think that's a great point because one of the things we've already talked about in our couple episodes of doing this is how maybe this should have happened and we should have had good superhero movies and we should have had embracing the source material. There's no reason that we could have ju- couldn't have just had action movies decades ago that were just other than other than special effects. They were just cloaked in this is a superhero. You're right. These are just really good action hero flicks that are also using a a source material that a bunch of people liked and and felt passionate about i think you're absolutely right but yeah it definitely also has that like america flair you know like right i don't disagree with you i just think to me it spoke more as a you know if if the character wasn't named tony stark and his supporting characters weren't named pepper potts and colonel james rhodes it would just be like die hard six you know, this time he has a robot suit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Robbie, you also have some feelings about the the movie being a little bit more adult and um, being a little bit more on the the older side compared to the rest of the MCU. And I think I kind of agree with this. I, I watched this movie and you know what I saw that I didn't remember? Tony Stark murdering just a bunch of people just like a lot like and it, it's not like anything like debatable he like literally like lights people on fire and like blows people up and like shoots them with missiles and like all kinds of just just straight yeah. up murder and we're all like oh it's so cool and there's all these explosions but you think about where the mcu is now and they would never show human like a hero murdering another human it would just be like some sort of alien or some sort of non like humanoid figure whereas this movie was very much like nope we're going balls to the wall and that's probably what peaches are speaking to to the to the action movie side yeah one of the things i think is interesting um as we went through this episode as a group is how much of our different how much of our thoughts on the movie kind of overlapped and i think we're going to see that through this episode and i'll be interested as we go through the show this whole series of which, when do we have very overlapping opinions? When do we have very diverse opinions? But yeah, and everything you said and everything I know you guys are going to say going forward, I think that that's a big part of it. When I was talking about it being adult, it goes exactly with what you were just saying about the murder and what um, Peach has already said about the, the or, or I think it was you said about the, the girl in bed. Like that's not, that's not something you'd see in the modern MCU. Early in the film, there is a girl barely covered by a blanket from a one night stand of Tony Stark. And and I'm not judging that, that scene. I am saying that would not be 
in probably any MCU movie after the first few. I just want to say I, I am judging that scene only because after they're like making out and then roll off the bed onto the floor, the laugh that comes out of Tony Stark's mouth is like <laughs> a horse name. Yes, it's, like, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. If you haven't if if you haven't yet watched Iron Man to to keep up with us, please just if you're if you're only gonna watch a little bit of it, just listen right. to him laugh in that scene. It's super awkward. And. And I think that whole adult thing, and I want to hear more about it from you guys, but I think we will, is this is just a lot more grounded than where we are. You think about the last end movie that came out was Endgame, which was fantastic, so that's not the point I'm making. But it was space aliens threatening Earth, destroyed by magic powers that turned them into dust and got rid of them after time travel. And that was a very compelling movie, but this one is death and terrorism and you know very uh practical feeling like technology that feels like it exists in the world we currently live in um they they focused on having these practical effects for the suits as much as possible it's you know believable military weapons everything about this movie is just so grounded and a lot of the that is also darkness it's not you know the grim dark grittiness that sometimes gets made fun of but there is some grittiness like dc right it's not it's not what dc it's not Zack snyder but it (laughs) is still there is still kind of a depth and a darkness and and again i i use the word again but i don't think there's a better word a real world groundedness to this that i think we've moved on from in the mcu for better or worse you know Related to that, a thing that I think is really grounded in this movie that I really appreciate, that I find myself appreciating in less of the other Marvel movies, and this might change when we do our rewatches, the suit. The Iron Man suit, the sort of the first really like assembly of the suit, the the grounding of just sort of the practicality of it all, right? By the time we get to Endgame, and we're obviously going to get there, we get to Infinity War, we're using nanotech. And let me tell you, nanotech is not nearly as satisfying as sort of watching the gears and the pistons and, and the plates move and shift and transform. Oh, absolutely. You know? I'm glad you said that because, and again, I love Endgame. I love where the MCU went, but that was one of my big thoughts. And even the first time we saw the nanotech in Infinity War, I just, my, it took me out of the film because I felt, well, that's not, that doesn't feel real. And yes, okay, there's also aliens. So I get it. But it didn't feel the same as this movie where it's like, that looks uncomfortable. It looks like it takes a while to put on, take off. It looks like you feel the weight of it hitting someone and Tony crashing with it. And that you're right, that practicality is lost. You ever watch one of those? Um, what are those machines that are just meant to get from point A to point B? What are those called? Um, like a Rube Goldberg machine? Uh, or? A Rube Goldberg. You ever just watch a Rube Goldberg <laughs> machine? A it's just satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> a car. You ever just watch a Rube Goldberg machine and it's just satisfying yeah, to watch? It's just satisfying oh, yeah. to watch. Blue ball machine from, on YTMND. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. That's what. That's what they like. The putting on of the. Uh, <laughs> That's what the putting on yes. of the uh, the Iron Man suit is to me. It, it, it's the satisfying thing that I like to watch because it's like grounded in realism. You know, it just it, it, there's a heft to it where there's not necessarily one in um, in the the newer movies. Now, Peaches, I saw you shaking your head. Uh, what what you, you don't seem to agree? I don't I, I don't necessarily disagree. I think that 
you know, as time went on with the movies and the funding got better because of how widely successful they are, I think naturally it progressed into a, how can we get him in this suit in a cooler way than we did in the last movie that he got in a suit and so on and so forth. I think that the first one, regardless of, you know, when this movie would have been created, whatever budget the budget was, I think they still would have made it because it was an origin story, him building it and you seeing, like you said, the, the pistons and the mechanics of the suit and all that stuff. But I, I don't find it, um, disappointing or anything in the later versions when the suit comes out of his body. In fact, I, I love pretty much how in every movie there's something that he has drastically changed about how the suit gets on him. Um, I won't go too far in depth because that we're talking about Iron Man, but you know, in two, he steps into a briefcase, boom, his suit on in three, he just holds his hand out and his suit comes to him. Like there's just so many cool yeah, things. Nothing's as cool as him pressing the button in the, was it a plane and him just sort of falling into the suit? Yes, that was dope. Like mm. really awesome. There's, there's so many different ways that they, I guess, one up to themselves as far as him getting his suit around his body successfully um but so i don't know that i necessarily could rank them um but i i think it's cool i'm not trying to like say you're wrong i i think the the origin story version is cool i just think all the other versions are really cool too i think it makes sense with tony stark as a character he's the kind of person who is always tinkering always trying to improve something and uh and there is not to jump too far ahead but the fact that he has the nanotech suit in Endgame ends up playing like like it becomes a significant plot point at the end. So that's that's a good point. Yeah, that's a very yeah. very good well, point. Um, and, and I don't. I'm not saying you said you're not disagreeing with us. I want to say I'm not disagreeing with you. I think that the path he took in his improvement does make sense. It's just I really do miss that weight of when he was early on. Damn it. Let's all disagree with each other, though. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you. Well, one thing I think, uh, talking about the the weightiness of the suit in the first one, and, I mean, when you look at the Mark I suit that he builds in the cave and all that, and all of that, how it feels, like you said, physically real, and, and Robbie, you said grounded and realistic. Put it in the context. This movie came out, like, two months after the dark Knight, when the dark Knight was the biggest oh, yeah. movie in the world. And that was what comic book movies, that was when people were like, Oh, we're taking comic book movies seriously now. And that was, and I love, love, love the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. So don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of all three of those. Um, Same. Yeah. So, uh, well, and- so yeah, big, big fan of those. And I thought that was a great take for, for Batman and we've gotten more and more comic booky as time has gone on. And I love that too, but what, you know, to kind of, I think convince the investors, because at this point, Marvel studios was technically an independent studio. They were reaching out for funding from Paramount, uh, from universal, you know, from investors, outside investors uh, to make these films. So they had to show, yeah, we can, we can be successful just like Batman begins and dark Knight. Well, they didn't have Dark Knight as an example yet, but you know there were there were successful comic movies coming out at this point, and they were all and I hate this term, but gritty and realistic. So, you know, Marvel definitely had a lighter tone, but it was still trying to be grounded at that point, uh, absolutely because that was and, the trend. And I remember I was actually a moderator for the uh, the Cinema Blend message boards at the time this came out, um, and I did a lot of like like handling their website himself yeah god (laughs) (laughs) 
Mods? Mods? <laughs> I mean, you can... Listen, there was a mod for that board that was 14, so I did not age myself. Um, but uh, I, I do remember... Well, that makes 14. it better. <laughs> he was 14 in, in 1981, so... <laughs> when this movie came out! <laughs> hey, please, anyway, tell us more about your moderation days. Part of the, I do remember it was a big part... A big discussion topic was that this is like Dark Knight, where it feels real it feels like it could happen in your world it's just that their bruce wayne was more fun i remember the the stripper pole in the plane was brought up a lot of well bruce wayne doesn't have a stripper pole on his plane yeah bruce wayne's too busy brooding in the back right exactly (laughs) so i i think to add to that like you have to also remember as as for us it would have been awesome if right out of the gate they would have had a super and I'm going to use this in a way that will make sense to all of us, but might not make sense to everybody, a super comic book, comic book movie, right? If they would have come right out of the gate and done any of the MCU quality versions of films that had really unrealistic characters, like they did something with Mysterio right away, or they did something with Dr. Strange right away or Thor right away. We might have, as people that are already fans of the comics and those worlds in general, we probably would have been pretty receptive to it. But you have to think of the mainstream audience who are just moviegoers at this point that know nothing about comics at all yet. And how are we going to introduce them to this world without turning them off to it? We have to give them something that's realistic enough that they can see it as a cool action movie, but nerdy enough to where the nerds also are like continue to be invested in it. Right. And I think Iron Man just makes the perfect vessel for that, for that um, project, I guess, you know, Iron Man for the most part, the whole movie feels pretty realistic, you know, like it's almost conceivable that, um, that nearly everything in that movie could happen. Um, So, I just feel like it's a great fit to get people into the universe and get the whole universe rolling. Like even with Hulk, Hulk is semi-realistic, but it's still not as real as what you see in Iron Man. It's, it's your sci-fi is what it is. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it's definitely grounded, right? Like you think about movies that weren't necessarily successful or movies that never came out. Like think about that Nicolas Cage Superman movie that was going to come out. And how oh, weird and crazy that movie was oh, going to be. How and dare you command how, me to think about that? Well, and think about how like it would have landed in this time period, right? Like it took the, right. it, it would have taken the exact opposite approach. It went super sci-fi. It went super like out there, not necessarily comic booky, but it was very much like and we're cynical. going for the right, and we're going for the we're going for the nerds, and we're going for nobody else. Whereas this movie definitely had its audience. It definitely um, was pointed in a direction which was we want to appeal to everyone, not just. Um, those that are sort of hyper into the source material. And the brilliance of the MCU as a whole is that they use this as the entryway or the gateway drug, I guess, to the masses of, hey, you know, comic book stories are a lot of fun. You know, they built it up, you know, that we got from this to uh, Avengers, to Guardians of the Galaxy, to Infinity War, Endgame, uh, you know, all this weird stuff. And now, like, Again, the, these completely out there, ridiculous comic book stories are the biggest movies in the world right now. Uh, it's like they, uh, I, and I think the brilliance of Marvel and 
you know, Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Studios, who we all give a lot of credit um, because he was a comic book fan before he was in charge of making the Marvel movies. And I think he knew that these stories could resonate with people and he knew how to, you know, you know, because a movie like what we get from Marvel now would not have been made in 2008. And by being doing such a great job by making good movies that appealed to a lot of people, he was able to kind of prove to everyone else, hey, you know what? All these other things, that's going to appeal to a lot of people, too. Well, and it's it's almost like um like a guitar dial, right? Like you're like an amp dial. Iron Man starts off at one, and it with each M movie in the MCU, it clicks up, right? And you sort of click up, you know, the, the comic bookiness or the the quirkiness, and they sort of little by little like assemble. No pun intended, but also kind of intended. They pun assemble. Intended. You own of, that pun. <laughs> they, they they assemble sort of their formula, and I'll talk. I'm going to talk about the Marvel formula probably a thousand times while we do this show. Um, but they sort of assemble this formula, and they sort of figure it out. I, I want to say they figure it out right towards the middle of the phase two, maybe towards the end of it. Um, but they really sort of hunker down on on what it is that they um, what it is that they, that they bring and what it is that they're trying to do. But it all starts with this. It starts with this really grounded Iron Man story. And I know it's a story about a dude flying around in a metal suit. But we've said it before. The movie is grounded. It is it is realistic. It can make you feel like that's something that could happen in your world. Um, now, uh, Peaches, you you mentioned that this is this is the or at least you put in the show notes that this is the start of something that's going to become a calling card. And we're going to talk about this probably throughout the series, but the Marvel callback, right? The, yeah. the thing where not only do they do it in the movie, but they do it in movies uh, continuing, right? Like yeah, we're going to yeah. get callbacks when we watch Iron Man two from Iron Man one and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So it's probably something that's fairly obvious to anybody that's watched more than two Marvel movies. Right. And a lot of movies do this. Like it's not a Marvel, it's not an MCU exclusive thing to call back to previous dialogue. But I think in my experience as a, I guess, avid movie watcher, I've seen a few movies here and there. Um, I don't think any any movie series does callbacks as well as Marvel does. So henceforth, I will be referring to these ones as the Marvel callback because they just do it so much better. And it starts at the in the very first movie like they waste no time. Um, I'm sure there's more than one. But the one that that stands out to me, the scene in Iron Man where um Tony's coming back from going to Afghanistan in the suit and um, taking out a bunch of the Ten Rings people that are tormenting the people in the village. And he's flying back to presumably Malibu and gets intercepted by those two jets. And, uh, you know, they find him that he's a bogey. He gets he ends up getting a hold of Rhodey on the phone while he's flying in combat against these two jets and after the scene is over, you know, Iron Man successfully defeats the pilots. Um, they're asking, you know, what, what happened? What do we tell the press? And Tony says, tell him it was a training exercise. Isn't that what you always say? And, you know, Rhodey makes a comment about how they'll never do that. They're never going to believe that. And then it flips to the next scene and he's telling everybody it's a training exercise. So... They set it up. And then later in the climactic end scene of the movie where Tony is fighting Stain, Ironmonger versus Iron Man, um, they see the two of them flying through the sky. And the Air Force or whatever base that actually is, is like, yo, we got some bogeys. What's going on? And of course, Rhodey steps in. 
he pushes his finger down on the on the dial and says, "No need to panic, everybody. It's just a training exercise." And that there it is, callback, the Marvel callback. And so, I, you know, I think they did it well in this movie. I don't know if they planned on doing callbacks as much throughout the whole series, but I just think it's something that works really well for Marvel. And I think it's probably something that I'm going to bring up on every episode because I, I always find those, I don't know about you guys. I find those callbacks really cool every time. Like they almost have never had a bad one Yeah, that I can well, think and, of. I think it's the, the thing is it's really easy to sort of make those feel cheap, right? Like if you don't do them well, those and you see them in like a different movie, they feel cheap because it seems like they're just trying to cash in on the success of whatever the previous movie or whatever it was. You know, it's like it was. saying the title of the movie in the movie. Well, credit sure. kind of like that level of cheesy. Right. But Marvel has just sort of figured out the way to do it and to make it endearing. Yeah. Well, and my reaction to what you just said is I'm aware of that, but I've never paid that much attention to it. And that just makes me really excited for this whole um this whole thing we're doing because now that's something I'm because you brought it up that's something I'm going to be paying attention to as we rewatch all the episodes um and also I think the fact that it I haven't necessarily noticed it means I'm not being brought out of the movie when it happens so you're probably right it's done very well because it's not I'm not going oh that that was dumb it's done very mm-hmm. well yeah yeah I mean for cause... your between movies to be fair there's you know 22 of them and if you don't watch them all in rapid succession like we're about to do you might not catch all the callbacks between movies same movie you'll probably catch them even if you don't know you're catching them sorry Chris you do your thing oh no I was just gonna say that you know I agree and I, I think I brought up last last week about how Endgame does that very well and it is something that they sprinkle throughout the whole series where it almost feels like they were planning it. And you know that they weren't, but but it still comes across so well. Like, obviously, it's planned when it's happening in the same movie. That's just good writing, is right. what that is. But, right. but, when it's, but when they find a way to tie it back, and that's something that, like you, I've always really enjoyed in movies, video games, books, whatever it is, whenever there's kind of a fun callback, and when it is done organically, when it, when it feels right. Because I've seen it when it's done clunkily. And even in the MCU, I know this is about the movies, but on the TV shows. I'm a big Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan, but the first season was a little rough, and there were some really, really forced references that are just kind of trying to remind you, hey, hey, we know the Avengers. We know the Avengers. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> they got much better at it as time went on. Uh, but yeah, there are some where it's like, I'm watching going, oh, why why did that line wasn't necessary? Uh, so, you know, they, they've done it very well through the movies, I think. I mean, Agreed. and probably the best callback chris um of the whole movie in my opinion is phil colson agent of strategic homeland intervention enforcement logistics division yes and he says that multiple times throughout the movie and if you are unaware of what that is um while you're watching the movie you're just like why does he keep saying that like what is what is the significance of this and if you do know what it is you're like oh my god are they doing it uh-huh. it sounds like they're doing <laughs> yes, it i was an oh my god person in the theater going oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was... every reference was lost on me the first time I watched Iron Man. I didn't, I didn't know why James Rhodes was an important character. I didn't know why Pepper Potts was more important than just a secretary. I didn't know why Obadiah <sighs> Stane was like all uh-huh. of it was just, you know, maybe this comic book character just has all this new stuff that's going on. I don't know what the references are. Who? It was great. I got I to be surprised know. that Obadiah was so... a bad guy. <laughs> Right. So yeah. next time, baby, just went over. Got, what's that? So next time, baby, just went over your head from Rose. Oh, he no, walks no, no, by no. the that war one, machine suit. 
that one didn't it didn't go over my head 100 percent. okay so i realized when he said that that he must be an important character that uses a suit too but i didn't know who he was and also it really did feel like it was like ha maybe an iron man too <laughs> you uh, know and then it didn't happen for him but oh well uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that you know specifically about the mcu it seems like if, if people like if there are detractors which i always see people on forums talking about dc fanboys who like say bad things about the mcu but I don't know if those people actually exist. Um, but if there are people out there, if there are detractors, they usually have they usually have two complaints, right? One, they don't have a good they don't have good scores, especially in the earlier ones. We we could probably be honest with at least some of the other ones don't have the best scores. And the the argument being that some of the villains are forgettable and sort of um, not not necessarily the best. Now, Robbie, you have strong opinions on both of these, but in the positive direction. Yeah. Um, and those are both actually criticisms that I agree with. They're not criticisms that I think ruin the movies, um, but they're things you'll see in the reviews a lot. And I do agree with them. However, in this movie, I strongly disagree. I think their first effort in the MCU was a great film score um, and a great villain. I, the music is just good and it's engaging and it fits well. And I like it, but in particular, Iron Man's theme is his leitmotif is phenomenal. And it just, it's a good, it's a good song, but also it just feels weighty and deliberate and like it goes with a slow moving machine. Um, so it just fits the, the idea perfectly. And it, the way it shows up as they're building the first Iron, uh, Iron Man costume um, and as he uses it and then through the testing, it's just such a phenomenal theme. My, one of my biggest disappointments of this franchise, again, loving this franchise, is that that leitmotif thing, kind of that John Williams, this song tells you that this person is on screen. That, that didn't make it through the MCU. And I think that first Iron Man theme from this movie, we could have used that all the way and it could have had some spins on it and some, you know, some uh, some twists and some some secondary themes based on it. But I think we could have used that theme all the way through the franchise, um, the the entire MCU franchise, and it would have worked just. And right. you don't really get that until and Avengers, then, right? Right. And even then, there's just not. It's not that strong. It's not like you know, maybe not Peaches, but but most people know. If I say Princess Leia's theme, the Han Han and Leia theme, um, Imperial March, you know. Right. And I, I should hope even Peaches knows the Imperial March, but Yoda's theme, the Emperor's theme, like even if someone doesn't necessarily think of that theme off the top of their head, when you watch that movie, it is okay, there's the there's the music that plays when the Emperor's talking through all six movies. Um well, so five of the six movies. And that's they did a little bit of that in the MCU, and Mrs. Soundlord can speak to this and, and Mr. Soundlord as well can speak to this stronger than I can because I don't pick up on music very well but it was never done as strong as i think this franchise could have done it i think leitmotifs would have worked perfectly um in uh in the mcu um I, and i don't know if you guys have other you guys want to disagree with me on the music or, or have other thoughts on the music um, but also i just thought obadiah stain was i think he's one of the best marvel villains and a lot of that is jeff bridges mm -hmm. but he is just sinister and yes okay you know he's the villain from basically the first time he's on screen but he still does a good job of being 
you know, amicable. All he is is he's just he's just running the company, but he's friends of the family. But as that movie goes on, he gets to being terrifying, and he does it very, very well. And, and still in that grounded thing, way that we keep talking about, like he's just a billionaire CEO. He is an ironmonger um, in two ways. Mm-hmm. Um, he's you know he's he's just a billionaire industrialist. It's basically if Dick Cheney got a robot super suit and he does have heart problems <laughs> <laughs> and that's terrifying and he just is like the scene where he he assaults tony in his home is is just so tense yeah in a way that i i think there's no way you can say this was a weak villain. Oh yeah, and there's even the, the scene when Pepper is in his office and oh, finds yeah. finds the video where she discovers, oh wait, he was actually working with the Ten Rings. Like when that is revealed, I remember being sick during that uh-huh. scene in the in the movie. Just like what's going to happen to Pepper? I want to add, yeah. like you mentioned earlier, because I I had no. Um, I had no really realization of Iron Man as a character or his supporting characters even more so. It actually made Stain a lot more villainous for me because like I usually pick up on things in movies, but for a while he didn't necessarily seem like he was going to be the main bad guy. I thought like they did a good job of concealing that he he wasn't a part of the bad guy team he was the head of the bad guy team like he did the heavy lifting and it really wasn't until that moment that you mentioned when he uses the the sound attack on tony in his living room where it really was terrifying because from tony's perspective he has no idea that stain i mean he knows that stain was selling his weapons at that point to terrorists but other than that, he had no idea he was gunning for him. And then he just shows up in his living room and paralyzes him. Like, just picture yourself in that situation where you are stuck there and you can't move and you're in pain. And here's this dude that you've known for probably your whole life standing over you and monologuing to you about how he's going to murder you and take everything that you know and love. Like, I agree that they did a great job with that. Uh, as far as your sound thing, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can agree yeah, with you. I'll- with your music. Yeah, I really like I'll, your thought on it. I'll speak on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. Soundboard, yeah, please do. No, I, yeah, the Iron Man Iron Man's theme in this. Okay, first of all, uh, the composer uh, is uh, Ramin Jawadi. Uh, you might know him as the composer for that that dragon show from HBO. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the composer for Game of Thrones. What? And yeah. Westworld. And Westworld. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I have not watched Westworld. Um yeah, so so that's where most people probably know him from. But but yeah, the uh, driving with the top down is the name of Iron Man's theme, uh, and it is really good. I mean, it comes from that line where you know he's talking on the phone, I think, to Rhodey, and he's like, "Oh, I'm driving with the top down." Yeah, trying to kind of explain away why it's so noisy. While I thought he's you were running in the canyon. Iron Man suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I drove I'm there driving. <laughs> to run. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, that it is a great theme. I love the guitar, and I'm pretty sure uh, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine uh, was the guitar player for the score as well. And he has a he has a cameo in the movie, I think, as a security guard or something. Um, yeah, I'm dropping cool. all the all the weird facts. Whoa. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, the uh, it's a great theme and it would have been a lot of fun to have that carried through the series. And that is something that I've always felt strongly about the Marvel movies on their own. A lot of them do have great scores and, and have some great themes. But the problem is that so many of the themes are confined to a single movie. Uh, and part of that, I think, is because a lot of them did not have continuity of, of composers like from one to the next. I'm talking about within each individual series. Uh, because Ramin Djawadi did um, Iron Man, and then John Debney did Iron Man 2, and then um, I believe it was uh, Brian Tyler did Iron Man 3. And I have my theories. Uh, if you know anything about the corporate structure of Marvel, uh, up until Captain America Civil War, Marvel Studios uh, reported directly to the president of Marvel, Ike Perlmutter, who is notoriously kind of a bad dude, first of all. Um, uh, and we'll talk about that. Uh, I have thoughts on him, uh, particularly when we get to Iron Man 2, when we start talking about how women are represented in the Marvel Universe. A lot of the problems with how, how long it took to to get like female superheroes like leading their own movies can be traced back to him. Uh, but I will save that for another day. Um, but he doesn't like to spend money either. Um, didn't that's why uh the marvel contracts for actors were they're like nine picture deals for not as much money as you would expect and then of course as the movies became more and more successful the uh the actors started wanting a bigger cut of that because obviously they deserve that um but uh there whenever you whenever you use something by another composer in a movie that that composer gets gets money they get they get paid for the use uh through um through uh, like the composers union uh ascap or or whichever ones that that they are a member of i don't know exactly which but there are rules to that and my my theory is that he was like no we're not going to pay the composer from the first movie just because we're we're using 10 notes that he wrote then uh that's why there are very few instances throughout um uh, until later on where you would see them they were very rare uh like you you see the Captain America theme used in Avengers, but Alan Silvestri composed both of those. Like he was a composer for both those movies, so that makes sense. They you used to, anyway. uh, I mean, that's no consolation. They used the Black yeah. Panther theme in uh, what is yeah. it, in Infinity War. It was Infinity War, but again, this is after Perlmutter, First of all, fair. Um, and, and also Alan Silvestri was the composer for Infinity War and Endgame as well, and he actually made liberal use of using other people's themes, especially in Endgame. And I think that's because I I consider him one of the the more classic composers, like Hollywood composers, like of that cut. Um, I mean, because I go back to him doing like Back to the Future and stuff like that. Uh, like I said, that is just a theory. I have no proof that Perlmutter was like the reason that they were like cheaping out on the soundtracks, but that's kind of my theory. Uh, but yes, that is something that I do feel is missing from the Marvel Universe. And it's something that they are definitely taking steps. Like I said, Endgame, uses quite a few different themes. You, um, and again, we'll talk about that when we get there. And it's something we're seeing more and more of as the movies continue. Uh, but it is kind of weird that Iron Man has three different themes. Uh, he has a different theme in two, he has a different theme in three. And they're good. I think I, I love his theme in Iron Man 3. Again, we'll talk about that when we get there. But but yeah, it would have been cool to like have yep. this motif like from Iron Man 1 come back in Endgame. You know, like how cool would that have been? Or to see that throughout, you know, have one character have a theme throughout 20 movies. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you on that, Robbie. 
Um, as does my wife, as you alluded to earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I I want to I want to take a I want to move on here because we've got a we've got a lot more to get to. So I want to talk a little bit about our top three quotes. So when we're doing these shows, we're going to be talking about uh, each of our top three quotes, and I want to talk about some of the uh, some of the quotes that we've that we've come up with since we're going to be doing these three quotes per episode. Um, and Robbie, I want to talk about one that you put up here. You put up one. It was it's just three words. It says. Next time, baby, and it refers to uh, War Machine. It refers to him becoming um, Rhodes, becoming War Machine. But the, the interesting part here is, I want to talk about how you think that Terrence Howard is a better War Machine than Don Cheadle. So, and this isn't an insult to Don Cheadle, the actor. I actually think he's a better um, actor than uh, Terrence Howard. But as the MCU went on, Don Cheadle to me just seemed like. He was Don Cheadle. I didn't feel like I was watching um, Colonel Rhodes. I feel like I was watching Don Cheadle. And Terrence Howard, neither of them looks exactly like uh, Colonel Rhodes in the comics. Um, But Terrence Howard just felt more military to me. He felt more like Rhodes. um, And it's a nitpick. But he just... I was convinced that he was that character. And then every single movie since then, I've felt taken out of it by Don Cheadle being Don Cheadle and not being the original character. Um, so that was that was a lot of it. it I mean, the reason I like the quote is I just got, I got so excited for War Machine. I had a War Machine comic. Uh, I had a, I can't remember which game I had that had War Machine in it. I, I was excited for War Machine. I thought he might be in that movie and he wasn't. Um, so that was just a nice little uh, nod to where the series could be going. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't, care a ton that terrence howard didn't follow the rest of the franchise uh, but i thought he did a good job as that character and i i was kind of sad that they moved on so quickly yeah you know it's interesting you say that because i had similar feelings about a different character and we'll talk about this on the next episode but i have similar <laughs> feelings about this Spoiler. and with mm-hmm. with mark ruffalo and edward norton and like i said we'll talk about it the next episode but it took me a little while to sort of come around to mark ruffalo um I, I kind of not. I don't know, man. Not about Hulk. I won't. I won't uh, comment on Hulk. I. I mean, how do you how do you feel about what Robbie said? Do you think Don Cheadle better or worse job with War Machine overall? Um, I, I think they were about the same. Like I yeah. don't. I think they were sort of interchangeable to me. I I I kind of felt that way too. But I, I I guess more of a positive way. I wrote down in my notes that I felt like despite. Um, Terrence Howard not continuing with the entire franchise I felt like either Don Cheadle transitioned from what Terrence Howard left well or Terrence Howard just set him up for success really well I I think both of the characters were played in similar ways Um, from what I remember of all of the things that Don Cheadle Rhodes is in and what I just watched a couple days ago uh, with Terrence Howard I, I felt like they have kind of a similar attitude and demeanor they both are like cracking jokes a little bit but they're both serious when they need to be i don't know i think they they handed off the baton pretty well yeah i know i think it's i think it's fun i think the reason why the edward norton mark ruffalo is is a better comparison is because they play the character very differently whereas um don Cheadle and terrence howard play the character very similar. oh yeah i completely yeah. agree with that okay. i i I, I, it's not a strong feeling. It, it's a, a small feeling. And I'll admit, 
I had trouble with this movie with pulling out quotes because I just didn't find this to be the most quotable Marvel movie. Um, so some of that is is less that that's a memorable quote and just what it felt to me. I completely agree that really Ed Norton and Mark Ruffalo do not feel like they're playing the same character, even though they are. Yeah, no, I and I know you just half of my that, but <laughs> half of my notes are quotes. Yeah, I did half not, of them. I did not find this movie that quotable. I, you know what? Here's the thing, and I think Robbie and I were looking at the same thing. I, one of my notes that I wrote down was how I found the movie not to be as quotable as other Marvel movies, and I was having trouble finding quotes. One, because I was specifically trying to find quotes that didn't include Robert Downey Jr., hmm. and if you eliminate Robert Downey Jr. from this movie, the movie becomes significantly less quotable. And then let me ask you, Peaches, how many of the quotes that you have written down are Tony Stark quotes. Let me look at them. Um, let's see. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I have nine quotes on the page. Uh, first one, Tony Stark. Second one, Tony Stark. Third one, not him. Fourth one, not him. Fifth one is him. Sixth one is him. Seven, not. Eight, not. So about half, because the last one is him. So five are... Robert Downey Jr. Four are not, um, sure. and I had a hard time picking three because all of these, like to me, felt important in some way. Not necessarily for the MCU as a franchise, but one of them in particular that I didn't write down in the show notes really felt like it uh, tugged on the uh, employment place that we all used to share. <laughs> it tugged on that sure. string really well. I'll just say it because. It was, it was uh, Obadiah Stane saying, "Do you really think that just because you you uh, um, have an idea, it belongs to you?" <laughs> and that was like one of the first things that you learn when you get initiated with the company that the four of us worked for. Yep. Is that yep. any idea that you have is the sole property of that company immediately? <laughs> and so when he said that, I was like, "Oh, that's that's a little too perfect." <laughs> I guess I, I just used a, an extra quote. Sorry. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I also want to talk about a, a quote that I put up here. Um, and it was a quote where the leader of the Ten Rings was talking to Ironmonger. And he calls um, what Tony Stark has built. He says, uh, Tony Stark has made a masterpiece of death. And he's talking about the Iron Man suit. And the reason for that is because of when we talked about this a little bit earlier, but because of all the killing that Iron Man was doing at the beginning, you know, with all the fire and the destruction and everything. And it's really interesting that they've sort of taken that into a different direction, because as we talked about earlier, um, this movie is a little bit more grounded in reality and it's a little bit more realistic in that way, but there was a lot more sort of killing and nonsense. Um, I think we can all sort of agree, and I don't know if we all have one of these, but there's like a Tony Stark quip in there for everyone. And like, I don't know if we all actually put one in there, but like, I think for like <laughs> yeah. men, women, children of all ages, there's a Tony Stark quip for you. And like, for me, it was no gang signs, please. Just kidding. Throw them up. <laughs> and um, I know you guys probably have some of your own favorite Tony Stark quips. I actually want to piggyback off of your gang sign one, if I can, for a oh, second, yeah. is that that's at the very beginning of the movie when he's in uh, in the fun V, as he calls it, uh, with the soldiers um, as they have uh, just left his weapons presentation. 
uh, to to the U.S. Army. And he's taking he's t- posing for a picture of them in the back seat, and one of them holds up a peace sign. And that's when he says, no gang signs, please. And then he's kidding. And he goes, oh, no, I love peace. Without peace, I'd be out of a job, right? And <laughs> that right there, that sets him up right there is that, you know, he's kind of weirdly charming and funny, but also kind of a jerk in that first scene because he's bragging about, you know, having uh, gone 12 for 12 with all the Maxim cover girls or whatever. Uh, although, to be fair, one had a scheduling conflict, but December was twins, so... It's the workout. <laughs> Good time. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh but you know, when he so he's coming across as kind of kind of a pig there. And then when he's you know, just kind of joking about that, even though even though he's joking, you know, there is a part of him that's serious, like, you know, he is a war profiteer at this point. He is profiting off of war. And it is not until he becomes a victim of his own weapons uh when the ten rings attack him with a stark missile and that's when he ends up in the cave and he's you know crucially injured and all of that uh, and he sees the destruction up close that his weapons are causing uh that is when he becomes determined that he is going to stop this he's not going to let his weapons fall into the wrong hands anymore and he has this sort of arrogant belief that his hands are the right hands uh, and that's something that we explore a little bit more in Iron Man 2, so I won't touch on that too much. But this guilt of his is something that carries through his entire story arc from Iron Man to Avengers Endgame. Uh, you see it uh, you see it in Avengers. Uh, you see, you see it, especially see it in Age of Ultron. Uh, and, uh, and you see it again in Civil War. And, and it's something that we'll talk about in all of those episodes coming up. But that is, uh, you know, if... You can describe Tony Stark. I mean, he's he's funny. He's great. He's awesome. Uh, but he feels tremendous guilt. And he spends the 22 movies of the MCU trying to do penance in some way for that guilt that he feels for his previous life as a weapons manufacturer. Yeah, I no, I completely agree. And I think um, I think that's sort of a sort of a theme like the repenting and we talked about this earlier but repenting tony stark is sort of a theme in all of the iron man movies and all the movies he's repenting for something there's something that he wishes he could go back and change whether it be about himself whether it be about his family and you could even say it it sort of um it sort of trickles down into civil war when he thinks about how he repents for how he dealt with his family and how he regrets that. And he sort of deals with it in a different way, but they're all, it's a very common Iron Man theme and a Tony Stark theme to sort of be on this constant road to redemption. Um, But it's, it's interesting because it's not, Tony Stark is a man that has everything and was given everything. And all of the ruin in Tony Stark's life for the most part is Tony Stark's fault. He created most of the ruin. He created most of his own problems, and it's up to him to sort of fix all of his own problems. Yeah, and that's part of the reason that Robert Downey Jr. was such brilliant casting for the role is because what it, it seems hard to believe now, but that was such a risky oh, casting Oh, yeah, no. Um, because, it, yeah. They, they got pushback on it, a lot of pushback. Um it was uh, something Favreau fought for because it was not yeah. easy for him to get. Yeah, because he had had so many problems with uh, so much uh, with substance abuse, alcoholism, drugs, hard drugs. Yeah, he was not. You know, he, he was his, not popular. His star had fallen. Yeah. yeah, it was a huge risk to put this movie on his shoulders 
and then we did so well and it is what started the robert downey jr renaissance that we are enjoying right now yes. and it's it in a way because uh, john favreau really saw how tony stark's story i mean if you go into the comics they, they didn't quite do this so much in the movies but in the comics there was a whole storyline called demon in a bottle where the bad guy was alcoholism like it was literally a story about his alcohol abuse um and of course that's something that robert downey jr could relate to on a very personal level uh, so as much as he brings his charm and wit uh uh to the role he also brings you know that real sense of i think trying to make up for his past to the role as well and i think that's why he is the perfect tony stark that's why he is tony stark i, I you know who's also him... not necessarily going through go ahead I was going to say, I think that makes him a little more relatable as a character. I mean, I, I don't think all of us go necessarily have gone through the same exact tribulations, I guess, as he has. You know, there uh, there's a lot of people out there that have gone through alcohol issues, substance abuse, all that sort of thing. But you see in this movie, and as you say, the theme of, of Tony Stark as a character all the way through is that he has a lot of... Uh, smarts. He has a lot of uh, confidence. He has a lot given to him, privilege, um, but he still messes up. And, you know, it, it's kind of humanizing to see that. And it, it makes it more relatable. Like, you know, we all mess up. He even even Tony Stark and and it no matter how how much of a playboy genius billionaire philanthropist you are, messing up can eat at you if it's if the the mistake is is big enough if it's grandiose you know yeah you know i was gonna say you know who's not necessarily going through a renaissance but seems like they're going on the same trajectory as robert downey jr right now keanu reeves that guy is everywhere right <laughs> he really now. is he is just he's like hitting robert downey jr like level of peak right now who did he play in iron man you <laughs> okay so he didn't play anybody in iron man but i just i've got i've got keanu reeves on the brain because of the the uh, the microsoft uh briefing for cyberpunk brief aside about that i'm sorry we're getting off topic i know robbie hates it when podcasts go off topic um but i only listen to off topic podcasts so uh, <laughs> so we're different there um he's his character okay so he's got a metal arm just like just like bucky um but his character's name is Johnny Silverhand, which sounds like a name you would make up to make fun of him if you're in the mafia. Oh, yeah, we got Johnny Silverhand over here. <laughs> Thinks he's the cyberpunk. Maybe he named himself that as like preventative maintenance. Like if I call yeah. myself Johnny Silverhand, then you have to come up with something dumber. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay, now, so um, I want to talk. Go ahead. No, I was going to I was going to say, so what's what's next? What are we doing next? Yeah, I, I want to talk about a few more quotes here before we move on. I want to talk about, um, let's see here. Um, I am Iron Man, which is probably... Um, most of us had that on there, I think. Right, most of us had that on there. I think the only one that didn't was Robbie. Yeah. yeah Sorry, I'm just a rogue. Actually, oh, okay. I didn't like that, but that's fine. I'll get to that. Um, I love the whole I am Iron Man thing. Um, I think it's cool. I think it was kind of um, 
surprising at first, but it sort of made sense. Now, um, both of you, Chris and Peaches, both had it on there as well. What was your reasoning for having it on there? Um, for me, it was uh, just it's such a great way to end the movie, first of all. Him saying, I am Iron Man, and then cutting to the song Iron Man by Black Sabbath, which famously starts with the voice going, I am Iron Man. You know, so that was fun. But it also lets you know, hey, this is going to be a different kind of movie because just a couple months before we had seen this awesome movie about a billionaire superhero uh, who, uh, you know, hides behind a mask. And then Iron Man, uh, Tony Stark, his story kind of becomes about how and, and you'll see this through, especially through the three Iron Man movies and then again in Endgame, how. Iron Man is him. Like he says in Iron Man 2, you know, because the senator is calling it the Iron Man weapon and he's going, no, it's a the suit is me. Uh, we're inseparable. It's not just a weapon that someone else can use uh, in Iron Man 3. He does a lot without the suit, um, which I know was controversial. I was a fan of it. But again, we'll talk about that in that episode. But it is showing how Iron Man like Tony Stark is Iron Man, whether he's got the suit or not. He's Iron Man. Uh, you know, so he kind of owns that and it's him, you know, it's no longer Tony Stark weapons manufacturer. It's Tony Stark Iron Man. And it's him like embracing. All right. This is my new identity. And it's also just a great cocky moment of him going, well, once again, I'm not going to follow the rules. Uh, Shield told me to say this. I'm uh, I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. Yeah, for me, it's a it's a two part combination. The first part is that I was just very surprised for the same reason that that Soundlord just said uh, that he revealed his identity at the end of the movie. Like, I, you know, I didn't know a ton about superheroes. This is still when I was first starting to open up to the idea of them. But I knew I knew for sure that they would never reveal their identity because that would put their loved ones at risk. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. Screw it. Your shield. Your story is flimsy. Why would I have a bodyguard in an, in a suit following me around? That sounds really dumb. Uh, I'm just going to say it and surprise everybody. But the other reason that it's on there is because I do have the gift of hindsight. And the, the quote is the beginning and the end of Tony Stark's character. It's, it's one of the first things he says when he fully embraces himself as Iron Man. And it's the last thing he says before he saves the entire goddamn universe. And, you know, that moment makes me cry every time I see it. But I think that they couldn't have picked a better thing for him to say in Endgame. And because of how beautiful of an ending that is for his story arc, it just makes the initial quote, again, another Marvel callback, the classic Marvel callback, it just makes that so much more effective in hindsight as a quote. At first, surprise on the rebounds, it just it's basically poetry. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Unpause. And I, I don't disagree. <laughs> I, I, now, Robbie, you seem to disagree with some well, of it, though. So how, how about you, you air your piece So this here. is, it's somewhat more in hindsight. Um, now, and especially with what Peaches said about the snap, um, it does work. And Oh, spoiler alert, by the way, if you didn't know that. <laughs> we call it a retrospective. Yeah, they better bad. know that this is all spoilers. But, all uh, hey, you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> but mostly just, I, I, again, I had come in from the comic, and to me, in it made sense to, at least for one movie have the bodyguard angle. Um, and so that kind of threw me for a loop against my expectations. 
um, and where the character was supposed to go. It's not like it, I didn't hate it. I just was not expecting it and it felt weird and felt, um, I don't know, out of character. Uh, but it, it didn't, it, that's what keeps it from being in my top three quotes. Not necessarily, oh, that's terrible and it ruined the franchise. That's not necessarily the angle I'm coming at. Unless you want me to for the drama of the podcast. Drama. Yes. You guys are wrong. <laughs> See, here's why. Tony Stark would never say something like that for the first 60 years of his existence. And you have to understand <laughs> that it ruined the entire MCU from that point on. And this is where assembly required civil war begins. I am only on this podcast <laughs> on Twitter. 24 episodes tell you how everything is terrible because of I am Iron Man. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant to say, <laughs> make sure you follow Phil Kid three on Twitter for hot takes. <laughs> I am Iron Man is the human element of the MCU. Okay, get, we need to uninvite him right now. Uninvite him from this. Show. <laughs> um, I, we got to move on because we're we're running low on time here. But I want to talk about our MVPs. I want us to each talk about who our MVP is and why. Now, I noticed some of us have the same MVP, um, and some of us have a few other ones. Um, I want to start because I want to talk about Tony Stark. Um, I know um, Chris, yours is also Tony Stark. And I think, um, I think that there are ways in which we can argue that there are some other important characters in this movie. But what, I think there's no way you can argue that without a doubt, Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Tony Stark carries this movie, right? Oh, yeah. There, there's no fans or buts about that. The movie would not have worked at all, I think, with anyone else. Or if it did work, it would not have become the sensation that it was. My exact quote that I have here in the notes is that without Tony Stark's Iron Man, it'd probably be regarded in the same light as the Incredible Hulk. Um, you know, the, the, the character, the reason you mean the Incredible Hulk... Robert what? Downey Jr.'s Iron Man is what... Yeah, that's what you meant to say. Correct. Robert Downey Jr.'s yeah, yeah. Iron Man. Without him, the movie would be regarded in similar way to the Hulk. It's got similar plot structure. It's got similar sort of... Um, trappings i would say but i think the what sets iron man different and what it has over that movie is that it has the x factor that is robert downey jr it has somebody carrying that movie and what robert downey jr does so brilliantly in this movie from the very beginning is he endears himself to the audience you he's so charming he's such like a fun cool guy and you feel for him from the get-go, whereas with a movie like The Incredible Hulk, which, like I said, we'll talk about next week, Edward Norton isn't the most likable guy in the world, right? You don't necessarily feel the same things immediately that you do for him that you would for somebody like There's a reason he didn't Robert Downey back. Jr. <laughs> <laughs> well, sure, and there's a reason why a lot of the most successful Marvel characters have that little something, have that little trait that make you go... They're like a good person. Like that's like a good guy, right? Like think Chris Evans, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a better person on this planet than Chris Evans? Like he just seems like such a good dude, right? Probably He's dogs. Fun. Probably <laughs> dogs, sure. Yeah, at least dogs. But definitely Tony Stark and um Robert Downey Jr. in particular was the beginning of them sort of tailor picking these people and trying to lean in towards some of their humanity and some of their personal traits, right? Yeah, it's something they've gotten right across the board is casting uh, with the uh, for the heroes. 
and it started with Robert Downey Jr. and they just knocked it out of the park almost every single time after that. Right. Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth. I, I'm just talking about the original movie leads uh, and then, you know, going on and on. I mean, it's just been, you know, spot on casting. Now, Peaches, you put in here that you would probably pick Tony, but oh, yeah. to be different, you picked Pepper. No, it was it was kind of like a if I'm not allowed to say Tony because it feels too like obvious to say Tony that I would say Pepper. It was that I you know I I go just right back to what I said earlier about the I am Iron Man quote is that Tony really is in these first three phases and I guess not chronologically since the next Spider Man movie is the end of Phase three but for the most part Tony is the start and the end to the MCU. The story starts with him. The, the main buildup to Thanos ends with him. And so this movie, I think, did a great job of setting up the start of his character, the more playboy side of him, the more selfish side of him, realizing that being selfish isn't as cool as he thinks it is and building his character slowly over time from there. If, if I wasn't allowed to pick Tony, I'd say Pepper just because Pepper is there every time Tony is there. Um, not only I, d- do I think uh, Gwyneth Paltrow does pepper justice, I think that um, she's just there every step of the way. She's five steps ahead of him at all times. She always has his next move planned, ready to help him out. And even in all these situations where she gets just trapped in them and Tony needs her help. She's always willing to do whatever it ne- whatever needs to be done. Like she reached into his chest cavity and performed operation on him. And she was really uncomfortable with that. You know, she's the reason that Obadiah Stane got zapped with arc reactor lightning. She was down there pulling all of the, the strings and, and basically Tony's only alive because of her. So if I can't pick Tony, I'll pick pepper. Um, because she's just such a good supporting character. Now, Robbie, you pick somebody who is only in what? The first 20 minutes of the movie? Yeah, so everything you guys say is correct. And man, I was right on board from the moment Robert Downey Jr. was announced as this is perfect casting. And he knocked it out of the park. I would argue that as the MCU goes on, he becomes more an original character, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but more an original character and less Tony Stark, um, like like comic Tony Stark, but that's fine. And he, you guys are right, he carries the movie. But as I was re-watching it, Yinsen's scenes are just so dramatic and important. And it's, Eduardo, I'm particularly interested in that you disagree with me because I feel like a lot of it is the same reason you picked Uncle Ben in the episode that maybe no one will ever hear because... <laughs> Yinsen is the Uncle Ben of this movie and just he's just pulled off so well um the uh, uh I had to double check the actor's name um but Sean Tube I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it or Taube I don't even know if that's pronouncing that correctly he pulls it off so well and he just in those cave scenes he's giving Tony a lesson um you you have an important decision to make don't you it, it's and just everything he does is changing Tony Stark. What you guys talk about, that Tony Stark redemption, that it's just there throughout the franchise, that starts with Yinsen. 
Um, that starts with Yinsen telling him that there's more important things in life than, you know, the, the Maxim cover models and selling the best arms. And I just believe that character in, in those heartfelt moments in the cave. And I believe the sacrifice he makes in what is to me, the best scene in the movie in the escape. And yeah, so he's not on screen very, very long, but I think he's the catalyst for the film. And also it allowed me to pick something more interesting than just saying Tony Stark. No, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. I, I, I get behind in that. Cause it was actually two, two of the nine quotes I wrote down are his. Two of the nine. They're important. Two of the nine. They're important quotes. Yeah. I mean, they're just like you said, they, they help build the part of his character that realizes that, all the crappy stuff he doing he's doing is crap you know i mean the quotes i wrote down for him that didn't make my top three are you almost said it um because tony's talking about how he's gonna die before he can build the missile and jensen responds well then this is a very important week for you isn't it um just kind of saying hey don't give up you gotta be determined was this is very important yeah and then one that did make my top three was also a Jensen quote where he's saying, don't waste your life. I mean, it's, it's a very simple quote, but Jensen is literally dying. Um, Tony is trying to get him to get up and come out of the cave with him. And Jensen's no, I'm going to see my family. They have been gone for a while. This is what I want. Please let me die. Don't waste your life. And you, you made it out of here. We got you out of this. Don't waste it. Use it for something. And I thought it was interesting as well in that, you, we've already touched on Iron Man was not that popular. This is not Spider-Man and Batman where, you know, we have seen the Waynes die 3,000 times now. Iron Man's origin, no one would have blamed them from just making the origin whatever they wanted. This was actually really, really close to the comics. Um, and Yinsen, he's Chinese in the original comics, so they changed his nationality, but they kept the character. And for me, that was a big part of this movie of they are willing to still, and this is something we said and we will keep saying, it was the first time that I felt like someone isn't embarrassed about Marvel source material other than the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. And that made me really excited. And I was happy (laughs) that they actually brought in this character that I'll bet you 1% of the audience had ever heard of. I, I had, I, as an Iron Man fan, knew his origin story and still had to double check if Yinsen was actually the guy's name. And it was, um, so I just thought that was cool that they brought that in. No. Okay. So I agree with you. And for the, what you alluded to a little while ago, we did a test run of this that we have recorded. It's sitting around in the assembly required archives. And um, <laughs> if we get, you know, enough response that people want to listen to this, that's something that we'll be willing to put out. But, We'll leave that on the table for now and maybe we'll revisit it a little later. But yeah, I think I agree that, you know, um, he is sort of the Uncle Ben of this series. Um, and I, I think he, he does teach a lot of lessons. I think the reason why I don't necessarily grasp, op, grasp onto him as I would somebody like a Ben Parker is I don't feel there's an emotional enough connection between him and the character, right? Like I feel I sort of the fathery son relationship between Ben Parker and Peter where I don't necessarily feel that connection there. I feel for him and I feel for the struggle that he's gone through, but I, I don't feel that connection between the two characters. I agree. That's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Not the response you were looking for. 
<laughs> Fight now, me, Robbie. Um, I'm sorry I'm not antagonistic enough. Now, <laughs> if we're looking at this film, Iron Man, and how it pertains just to the MCU in general, right? How it how it pertains to the MCU. How does it fit in? Does it feel like a Marvel movie? Does it does it not feel like a Marvel movie? Does it feel like something else? What, what is this movie? It I think it does feel like it's part of the MCU, but barely. Um, and I think we'll say that with the next movie as well. But it, I mean, like I already said, the most recent one has space aliens invading the planet again after time travel being destroyed by basically godly artifacts and turned into dust to save the planet after an army arrived through portals that had previously been dead and was brought back to life. And he's, he's going to say it exactly that same way every, every single time, time. The exact quote. This movie has terrorists and practical effects and fairly believable machinery um, and those dark themes we talked about. And so it just feels more grounded and heavily, more easy to connect to, not necessarily more entertaining, but more easy to connect to than almost anything that came since it. And I think Soundlord keeps comparing it to The Dark Knight. And I think in a lot of ways that's true. This is almost more Dark Knight-ish, just with a little bit more levity than I think the MCU we've come to know. Yeah, see, where I will disagree with you is that I don't think it's necessarily more grounded than Endgame. I'm not going to try to describe it like that. Um Certainly it is more grounded in a realistic, you know, world that we recognize as our own as in, okay, yeah, so he's a scientist, so he, he can make cool things, uh, you know, so it, it's, it's light sci-fi, whereas Endgame is, you know, completely bonkers. But I think the, the common thread throughout the MCU is that it is grounded, uh, but it's emotionally grounded, character grounded more than, uh, you know, realistic world grounded and I, I think i touched on that last week uh so i i won't go off on that too much but uh i think how this fits into the mcu as a whole uh like i said earlier it is the entryway it's it's the gateway to the mcu um i was i summed up i i'm going back to endgame there is this great quote from tony stark or he says god what a world universe now if you told me 10 years ago that we weren't alone uh let alone, you know, to this extent, I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised, but come on, the epic forces of dark and light that have come into play. And you know, he's talking about how much it's changed. And that all starts with Iron Man. And uh, I'm going to uh, go actually go back to one of my top three quotes here, because I think it's pretty important, which is after the credits. And that's going to be a big theme, I think, for this whole series. Uh, Tony walks into his house. Jarvis kind of shuts down. His AI shuts down. And there's a man standing there. And he goes, who are you? And he goes, Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Cut to black. And that's how it ends. And he goes, you've just taken your step into a larger universe. And it was that that had so much promise, so much potential. I, I was vaguely aware of Nick Fury. Uh, the, really, the only reason I knew about Nick Fury was because I knew that the ultimate version of him was based on Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, <laughs> so... To see him on on screen, I'm like, oh, okay, that's important. And I, I knew about the Avengers. And I knew that this was setting up eventually to get to an Avengers movie, or that was the plan. Uh, so them, 
you know, so it fits into the MCU because it is the beginning of the MCU and uh, everything has, you know, it is tied back to into it so much. Uh, you know, you get S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, you know, I mentioned Coulson earlier, who becomes a very big connecting thread throughout uh, phase one of the MCU. Uh, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. itself is very important throughout. Uh, there are lots of different little references, Easter eggs here and there that become very important in this larger universe. And the fact that we're able to start with a guy in a cave building a suit out of box of scraps and get to the grand spectacle of Endgame. Uh, yet, it, you know, what, what I love about it is that it is so different. Like if you watched just Iron Man and then went straight to Endgame, you would be like, how is this the same character? But when you go on that journey <laughs> through all 22 movies, it does make sense and it does work. And I think what is so great about it is that it is the humble beginning of the MCU. Uh, so I think it does fit in, even with all of its differences from where we've ended up, because it's the starting point. It's like, okay, let's let's go on this journey together. The evolution of Tony's suit is the evolution of the franchise. Yeah, it really is. It's the evolution of dance. Dance, dance, evolution. No. <laughs> on the Wii. So I'm <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm going to diverge a little bit from the two of you, and I'm going to say that it doesn't really feel like an MCU movie to me at times. There are times where this movie feels more like a good DC movie than it does a Marvel movie. And we'll get into this a little bit more when we talk about our ratings, but this movie doesn't sit too high on my rating list now that I've watched it a second time. But I'll save that here for the next section because I want to see what Peaches has to say about it. Oh, I don't. I don't have anything too different from the from what those guys said. I think it still fits. I think it made a lot of sense to feel more like an action movie at the beginning of the the MCU just to get people engaged, and I think that they included enough fan service for the nerds so that the people that truly understood the character could get a lot of enjoyment out of it. And now that I truly understand the character better going back and watching it feels a lot more like fan service than it did when I watched it when I was younger. So I think it kicks off the series uh, tremendously. It's more practical now that we know what the whole story of Tony is, um, which just, it just builds upon itself. It made the movie better the way that they told the rest of the story. Um, so yeah, it still fits to me. It's a great start. And I think, I think it'll stay a great start. Okay, so now now that we've decided, you know, what we thought about the movie just sort of in general and, and how it views differently, where does it rank? How does it rank between other MCU movies? Does it live up to what you originally remember the movie living up to? Does it not? What did you guys think? Um, um, let's, let's go with uh, Peaches. Yeah, I'll say that it's hard because, you know, we did our top five in the last episode. It was in my top five in no particular order. It's hard to say without the full rewatch of everything, um, but I think it'll stay in the top five. Uh, I, you know, it's like we've said, it's very different from other movies in the series, but I, I think it still is strong enough of a contender to stay in my top five. I don't know that for sure, but if I were a betting man, I might put a couple dollars on it. Yeah, yeah, for me, it, a couple bucks. For me, it was. Uh, I mean, it's probably top ten, and will probably remain top ten 
but you know, I also when it when it came out, I thought, oh, no Marvel movie will ever be better than this. And actually, even after there are movies in my top five that for a while I was like, oh, but I think I like Iron Man better, and that over time have surpassed it, like Captain America. Um, uh, and again, that's part of a personal thing as well, because a lot of it is, you know, how you connect with the different characters or whatever, but, but it stands up, I think as still just a great superhero movie, just a great fun movie in general. Um, I mean, we've talked so much about, I mean, there's so much we haven't talked about, (laughs) you know, uh, the, the Tony's relationship with Pepper throughout the movie, uh, Peaches, you brought that up, uh, quite a bit, but you know, there are some scenes of banter with him that are just kind of like fun comedic moments. Uh, there, the, the action we've talked about, the themes it grapples with, um, you know, I mean, there, it, there's a lot to chew on in this movie. And I think it, it is in the end, it's successful because it is still, it is about the characters. And when something Marvel gets right, is that they, these movies are about characters that we are going to enjoy watching. And it's great performances from a, an excellent cast. I mean, that I mean that if you just gave someone the cast list and said, hey, we're making a movie with these people, I would be like, I want to see that movie. You don't have to tell me what it is. And I would be interested in seeing that movie. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I think personally it hands up, it stands up. Yeah, so I mean, we're I was going trying to through say this holds up. <laughs> and the switch just stands up halfway through. Hands up. We're going through this series sequentially for a reason, almost as though like we have hindsight, but we're all approaching this again for the first time. Um, and so, really, it ranks first out of one. But uh-huh. um, and, and so, <laughs> well played, Robbie. So, and I'll be revisiting my list as I go on. That said, it, it did. I liked it more than I remembered. Um, or not necessarily more than I remember, but more I hadn't seen it in a while. And I liked it just as much as I remembered. Um, and I, I, I like that. It holds up very well. Um, I think it's going to end up very high on my list and probably a little higher than it would have been um, originally. Cool. All right. All right. I'm going to be the Debbie Downer down, here. Um, look. I was excited to watch this movie. I was psyched for it. I was ready for it. And I was honestly a little disappointed by it. Um, I watched the movie with my wife, Bailey, and she was also pretty disappointed with the movie as well because we both have fond memories of the movie. And when we watched it, it sort of didn't hold up to the standard. That's for a few reasons. One is because we are absolutely spoiled with the quality of the Marvel movies of today. They, we, I talk about the Marvel formula and by Endgame, by movies like Endgame, by movies like Infinity War, by movies like Black Panther, Marvel figures out the formula. They figure out these movies and they figure out how to make them enjoyable to watch and, and, and for a number of reasons. And I think this movie just has a little a little too many trappings for me to really enjoy it. The other thing, and I, this is one that I'm going to get hate for, I am almost over... Robert Downey Jr. I have no, good I news for that. you. I actually <laughs> spoiler. You yelled at me yeah, about the spoiler. <laughs> I just, 
I'm just sort of I'm just sort of over the shtick, no. you know. Like I I wanted, and when I watched this movie, I intentionally sort of ignored Tony Stark because I wanted to see what else the movie had to offer because I knew that Tony Stark had such a commanding presence. Robert Downey Jr. I should say had such a commanding presence and he had such a, uh, a command of the movie that I wanted to see what else. And to be honest, I don't think the movie has much else without big set pieces and Robert Downey Jr. I think that's the movie. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think compared to the, the Marvel movies of today, there, I, I already know it could be so, so much better. you'll get no hate from me on that because I actually completely agree of being sick of that shtick, um, particularly somewhere around Homecoming, and we'll get to this, where I feel like it was almost like <laughs> the the uh, Robert Downey Jr. expanded universe. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually completely... And so what's very interesting to me is how you and I, I feel like, are saying a lot of the same stuff about this movie, and yet come at it with a completely different feeling of how we enjoyed the movie almost everything you say i agree yeah, it's with super interesting i still like it a lot regardless i still like it i just think lots of other marvel movies are better that's fair that was a, I don't necessarily a twist think. ending for some of you we knew because we see the show notes but for some of you <laughs> that was a, a that took yeah. a weird turn i bet <laughs> Well, no, and I, I wanted it to be clear that th- there was a dissenting opinion here because everybody had just sung its praises and I wanted it to say, you know, my piece with it. I did still enjoy the movie. I thought it oh, was yeah. a fun time, but it still just didn't sort of hold up to my expectations for it. Yeah, um, that's fair. Now, every episode we are going to be rating this movie. Um, I am going to be giving the original Iron Man six gang signs out of ten. Throw them up. Throw them up. Uh, as for me I I decided to give Iron Man the first film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe 8 American Cheeseburgers out of 10 I am very different from Peaches in that I gave it 8 goatees out of 10 and unlike the two of them I gave it 8 boxes of scrap out of 10 (laughs) I was going to go with boxes of scrap but I knew Chris wanted it unpredictable what can I say and so <laughs> that's essentially going to do it for this episode. So now that you've heard what we're going to be doing each week, um, give us your opinion. Do you like the show? Do you not like the show? What would you want to see us talk about if you could? Um, if you did like the show, do you want us? Do you want to have any feedback about Iron Man? Next week we're doing Hulk. Do you want to talk to us about Hulk? All of this and more can be achieved simply by emailing us. AssemblyRequiredCast at gmail.com. Send us your input. We'll read it on the show, no matter if it's, um, even if we're at Endgame and you want to talk about the first Iron Man, we'll still read it on the show and have a discussion about it. Um, and and we'll, uh, we'll take it to heart. Um, but I think that's going to do it for all of us here today. Before we go, I want to let everybody know where we can find everyone on the internet. We've got Phil Kid 3 up here for Robbie, if you want to find all of his baseball shenanigans. Peaches over here is at D underscore Peaches. Gator Sacks. Oh, sorry. Mine's over here. Gator Sacks 2010 <laughs> on Twitter uh, for Chris. And I am at ABCD Eduardo one. That's going to do it uh, for all of us here. <laughs> all of us there. All of us here. We're all pointing at each other like idiots, but you can't see that. Right? Visual gags <laughs> and an audio medium. Baby. Once again, <laughs> <laughs> once again, thank you so much everyone for listening we really really appreciate it and we're really excited um 
to assemble the MCU with us. Um, so until next time, we love you 3000, everybody. See ya. get blurry i don't know oh. that happens sometimes it so happens blurry. <laughs> can you take it all away shout it in my way i thought for the longest time he was saying this spank you gave to me like <laughs> oh, like it's blurry because you you spanked me oh, because I, what like, a horrible song but, that would be but <laughs> But not like in a sexy way, but when in you like shoved a, it little, in my face, <laughs> the spank you gave to me. <laughs> oh no, that was all recorded. Great, it should be. <laughs> Welcome to Puddle of Mudcast. Ray, <laughs> <laughs> uh, get her. Muddle, muddle of podcasts. <laughs> Puddle of mud. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> If they don't have a podcast named Pottle of Mud, then they fucked up. They probably did.